Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. God today. So, so last week we started a, a, a brand new sermon series called The Greatest of These. The Greatest of These. And last week the title of the message is Love Is. And today we are going to continue with that same theme and we're going to do Love Is uh, 2.0. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the what? No, they got to say it like like Barry White, the love chapter. I'm channel, channeling my inner Barry White, okay? And uh, it, it's the love chapter. And, and so last week, you know, we, we, we talked about how Paul is writing this, this passage of Scripture, and he's talking about the, the prominence of love. And in it, he writes the first three verses. He says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and, and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So last week we talked about how we... As, as believers, the children of God, we should be the essence and the epitome of the picture of love here on the earth. And last week we learned that love is God, that love is action, and love is everything. In fact, the, the, the Apostle Paul concludes his dissertation on the power and the prominence of love in chapter 13, verse 13, he says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? So Paul is essentially saying that, that you, can, you can be pious, you can be devout, you can show up uh, to church every, every Sunday, and you can, you can serve, and you can do all of, of these, these religious things. You can have faith, you can have hope, but if you do not have love, and all of these things are done outside of the context of love, then essentially it adds up to nothing. In fact, the book of 1 Corinthians is what we call a corrective book. And Paul here is having to address a variety of intense problems with the church at Corinth. It is so intense that it can almost be viewed as, as negative in so many ways, almost as if Paul is attacking the Corinthian church for all of the misconduct, the immorality, and the failures in their own lives to acquiesce to the very principles of God that he taught them. And, and all of these things are all of a sudden set aside as Paul comes with chapter 13, the what? Sharing his Holy Spirit inspiration on love. And, and this, this chapter is so different than the rest of the book. It's a dramatic change in, in literary style. It's lyrical. It's rhetorical. It's just totally different than the rest of the book. And here Paul, he has been plotting through problem after problem with deep 
uh, reasoning and, and carefully worded arguments and explanations and warnings. And then all of a sudden, he finds his rhythm of chapter 13. And even though this particular chapter has been treated with a sense of uniqueness, and rightly so, and even though it's been pulled out and isolated so many times and preached on as if it were an entity unto itself without any connection to anything else, the real power of the chapter is found when you look at it and study it within its context. Now, this chapter probably wouldn't mean as much to us if, if we just pulled it out and out of its context and just taught on it. Of course, I feel that way about almost every chapter in the Bible, but particularly this one because I think this chapter gets abused along that line so very frequently. People will just pull it out and they'll teach it and they miss the power of it because the power of it comes when you tie it together with the rest of the book, particularly chapter 12 and chapter 14. And so here chapter 13 comes and it sits right in the middle of, of Paul's exhortation on the spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he talks about the endowment of the gifts. In chapter 14, he talks about, about the, how we are to properly utilize the gifts. And, and, and so here he is talking about how we receive the gift and the way that God put the gift together in the church and, and the way he's melded it all so that it can function for the benefit and the profit of all. So chapter 12 is the endowment of the gift. Chapter 14 is the proper exercise of the gift. This is how to do it or this is not how to do it. The, the receiving of the gift, the way that God has put it, put it together. And then right here in the, in the middle of that section, we find the proper motive or the proper power or the proper atmosphere in which the gift should operate, and that is love. And, and that's the essence of, of Paul's writing. And, and he says, you can have all of the spiritual gifts, but if you do it outside of the context of love, then, then you're missing the point. You're, you're, you're missing that which is most impactful. And so right before he transitions from chapter 12 into chapter 13, Paul writes this in verse 31 of chapter 12. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So our first point today is that love is the better way. Somebody say, love is the better way. And so here Paul, having given them all of the basics about how God has put the gifts into the church, he, he, he's telling them here, you can have all of these gifts. You can have all of these functions. You can even impress people. But he said the gifts aren't necessarily for you to impress people. And that's what they were doing. They wanted to use the gifts to impress people. But God is saying, I didn't give you the gift to impress people. I want you to impact people. See, the way that God use you, uses you might impress them, but the way you love them will impact them. And unfortunately, the church has gotten it all wrong. We want to impress people with how righteous and with how holy we are, how much God uses us and how much God has of us. But Paul is saying, all that is for naught unless you do it within the context of love. He's saying, I want to show you a better way, a better way to win the lost, a better way of showing who God is 
in your life. And when you look at that, that passage of Scripture in the original Greek language, the Greek rendering says it this way. Instead of accepting what God has given you, you are coveting the showy gifts. He, he's telling the people, you're trying to impress people. And God said, I'm not, I don't need you to impress people. I need you to impact people. And the church has gotten it all wrong. Even today, we've done our best to try to impress the people around us. But let me tell you, impressing them will do nothing for their life. It will do nothing for their heart. It will do nothing for their character. It will do nothing for their problems. But when you stop trying to impress people and you begin to impact them with the love of Christ, then that's where lives begin to change. And, and here this statement, it, it's, an in, it's indicative. It's not an imperative. He's saying you are continued to covet the show he gives, but I'm going to show you a better way. In other words, a better way than, than just coveting and desiring the show he gives to impress people. This is a better way. This is how you're really going to touch people's lives. And you're going to do it in the context of love. You're going to do it showing them who God is in the context of love. See, when, when God uses you greatly, and he uses you with the gift maybe of prophecy, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. Maybe he'll, he'll use you uh, with, with the gift of healings and, and, and miracles. And all of those are great. But when you do it to impress, you know what? People walk away thinking that you're great. They can say, well, man, they, they, they just so, they're just so close to God. They just love God so much. When, when you use the gifts outside of the context of love, people will walk away with how great you are. But when you love them the way that God loves you, they walk away with how great they are. You see the difference? When you show them through love, that they are valuable, that they are important. They're not going to walk away like, man, God really is you. You know, when you impress people, they'll think, man, I can never be like that. I'll never be able to get that way because you're just so great. You're so holy. You've got it all together. And that's what was happening here in the church at Corinth. They were impressing people. God said, I don't need you to impress them. I need you to impact them. And you're going to impact them with the context of love. I don't need you to show them how great you are. I need you through the context of love to show them how great they are, how valuable and how important. And so a better way than being proud is to be loving. And that's what Paul is talking about in chapter 13 as he describes in such beautiful poetic language the better way, which is love. He's telling them you're not going to win people over by trying to impress them with how holy or how righteous you think you are or whatever spiritual gift you have. If you really want to win people for the kingdom of God, there is a better way, and that way is Love. And that's what Access Church is all about. In fact, our mission statement is loving people into an authentic, relevant, and maturing relationship with Jesus Christ. In our short form version, it's all about loving people to Christ. Why? Because people want to be where they are loved. But unfortunately, 
for so long, the church has gotten it wrong. The church has gotten it wrong. Criticizing people, judging people, condemning people, making people feel that, that we are, 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 are better than they are, making them feel like they'll, they'll, never, they'll never match up to who we are, never meet our standard. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we have a come-as-you-are casual dress code at church because we don't want people to say, well, I don't have the right church clothes. I've been in churches where, where women would walk in in pants and all the hermanas are giving stank face. Thinking, I hope she don't think God's going to bless her in pants. <laughs> just because they don't dress the way that we dress. Just because they don't look like we look. And for so long, the church has gotten it wrong. Several years ago, I, I was serving at, at, at another church. And, and, and I remember, it was right before service. And there was this young lady came in, a young single mom, about mid-30, 35. And she was dressed like she was about to catch a chest cold. If you know what I mean. Like the slightest wind and she's going to start sneezing. That chest was out. And what do you think all the religious hermanas? And I literally heard, heard them talk amongst themselves. Oh, you better keep an eye on your man. You better be watch your man. Look at her. And I remember my, my heart and my spirit being so saddened because the one place that people should find love and acceptance should be within the family of God, should be in the church. It's like for us being, being critical because sick people show up at the hospital. Oh, I can't believe you're sick and you want to come here and spread your virus and your bacteria all over. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking these supposedly were, were the mature ones, the ones that were close. And I thought, man, how quickly we forget where God brought us out of. How quickly we forget how God changed us and how God transformed us. Back in the day, you were shaking your groove thing. You know you had that nickname, Reynalda? Y'all know? If you don't know Tejano music, then you got to ask somebody. And they'll explain it to you. But now, all of a sudden, you go to church. And you know what was so sad? Literally, about three to four weeks later, this young single mom caught pneumonia, and she passed away. You think, Pastor, you make these stories up. I don't. These are true stories. And I thought, man, if I could feel the tension in the room. I mean, come on. Let's be real. You know when you walk in a place and people checking you out and talking about you. You, you. you know. And I thought, man, if I could see it, if I could feel it, I knew that she could. And I thought, how sad. Just because she doesn't fit the mold of what we think someone should be like when they come to church. Remember last week I told you about the head usher at the old church I used to serve at? 
He wanted to kick the guy out because he was smoking. You would think he would have learned. But not too long after we had that conversation, we had this couple that literally looked like they left the bar and came to church. I'm not making this stuff up. They even smell like the bar. And he comes like, Pastor, this couple, they're drunk. What do I do? Should I ask them to leave? And I said, are they being disruptive? No. Like, are they like being loud and boisterous? No. What are they doing? They're just sitting there. And, and I said, so what's your question? Well, should I ask them to leave? I was like, no. Go introduce yourself. Ask them if they need anything, if there's anything that you can do, and make them feel loved and welcome. I don't know what happened between 2 a.m. and 11 a.m. God must have got a hold of them. Maybe they got lost. But they ended up at church. And sometimes we get so indignant because people don't fit the mold of what we think they should look like. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. After you begin to walk with God, things in your life should begin to change. But you can't judge and criticize somebody because they don't know what you know. Because they haven't walked the walk that you walk. Maybe no one has loved them to the point where they were able to change their life. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, guys, you got it all wrong. You're using the gifts to try to impact. I don't need you to impress. I'm sorry. I need you to impact them through the context of love. So not only is love the better way, Paul tells us that love is indispensable. Look at our base text for this series, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So he's not only saying to them that love is the better way, he is saying that love is indispensable. He's talking about the preeminence of love. He's telling the Corinthian church that you can't impress God with your gifts because the gifts come from him. Think about how ridiculous that is, trying to impress God with a gift that he gave you. That don't make any kind of sense. First they were trying to impress people. Now they're trying to impress God with the very gifts that God gave them. You're not going to impress God with your eloquence or with all of your talents because all of that comes from him anyway. I think if there's one thing that we can do to impress God, but not necessarily to impress God, but cause God to look down on us with pleasure, it would be for us to love what he loves, to love who he loves, and to love how he he loves. I think it's at that moment where, where God could look back and have I mijo moment, right? Or I mija moment. It's that moment where you look at your son and daughter and say, oh, he's just like me. You know when they're acting crazy, like you look at your husband like, that's your kid. But then you have that ah mijo moment, right? And, and, and they're doing like, oh, he's just like his mama. <laughs> 
And I think that God, when you love people the way that God does, and you love what He loves, and you love who He loves, and love what He loves, and how He loves, you cause God to have the I mijo moment, I mija moment. And so notice that Paul, he is not saying that faith isn't important or that hope isn't important. Those things are essential to our relationship with God. But he's saying that without love, those things do not matter. And let me tell you what will resonate in heaven when you get to heaven, you're, Paul and Peter are not going to have a list of how many times you prophesied and you got it right or the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or, or the gift of healing or miracles. What will resonate in heaven for eternity is how you loved who God loves. Now in order for us to have true, genuine, authentic relationships with people, we need Love. That's why I say love is indispensable. See, God always intended for us to live, not life to live it alone, but to live in, in community, in, in, in an environment or a context of love. In fact, the, the, the apostle Peter puts it this way. First Peter 4.8, he says, most important of all. Like we could just stop there. Just so you see that Paul and Peter are on the same page. Paul is telling us you can have all these other giftings and all of these other things, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. But look at what Peter says. The most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Most important of all. Like, like, don't concern yourself with all the other things if you don't have love in your life. But look at what he says. Continue to what? To show. We talked about it last week that love is what? Action. We said it last, night, last week where the, your, your wife asked you the dreaded question that we all hate. Do you still love me or do you love me? And right away, you as a man, you're thinking, okay, what did I do? Did I forget to take out the trash? Did I forget one of the kids at school? <laughs> did I forget to pick him up from soccer practice? You start thinking, what, what did I do? And we talked about how what she really wants you to do, she doesn't want you to say it. She wants you to show it. And see, that's the problem with the church is that we've been really good about saying that we love, but Peter's saying, most important of all, your love should show. The, the way you love should be evident. It shouldn't just be shown in church. It shouldn't just be shown in your family. The way that you love should be shown everywhere you go, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're at HEB, you're at the mall, wherever you're at, your love should show. And so here Peter is saying, continue to show. In other words, you've got to demonstrate your love. And who he's saying we should show our deep love for? Who? For each other. He doesn't say for the people in your crew, the people you like. There's no, there's no uh, clause or, or exception to that rule. He says, show your deep love for each other. Most important of all, it doesn't matter how good you sing. It doesn't matter how good you preach. It doesn't matter how great you, you teach. It doesn't matter how much you give in tithes or offering. Most important of all, you've got to show that you love. Our love as believers, 
should be seen and not just heard. We're really good at saying it. We're really good at saying it. But Peter says love should be shown. And he says not just love, but he says deep love. Like it's got to go deep. What do you think he means by, by deep love? Think about a deep well as opposed to a shallow well. See, a shallow well will empty out quickly. But he understands that we are living in a, an environment with imperfect people. Right? Or your husband's perfect. Your wife is perfect. Your daughter's perfect. Almost. But he's saying, not just love, but deep love for who each other. See, if we are going to accurately represent God here on the earth, we need love. Our lives should be a reflection of his light and his love. And so love is indispensable to healthy relationships, whether it be in marriage, in family, with friends, or in, commu in community. Why? Because it is impossible to have healthy whole relationships outside of the context of love. And then Peter tells us why. Because love covers a multitude of sins. See, when you love someone, it is so much easier to overlook their faults, their mistakes, or their weaknesses. That's why he says you have to have deep love because the people that surround you, they're going to fail you. They're going to offend you. They're going to hurt you. And the deeper your love goes, the deeper your grace and your forgiveness will go. See, because when you have relational equity with people, you, you can easily overlook those, those mistakes, those, those follies. Like, it's okay. I, it's okay. I, I know you didn't mean it. But when you don't have that relational equity, then it's not so easy to love. It's like, I know this never happens here, but like when you're driving and people cut you off, right? You don't know them. And you're like, where did you get your license? Who taught you how to drive? Some of you throw in that half a peace sign. Please don't do that if you have an access sticker on your vehicle. Please. Right? Right? You're, you're, because you don't know them. But let's say that same person that cuts you off at first, you're mad. Like, oh, hey right? All of a sudden, it's not that big of a deal because now you know them. Now you have a relationship. Now you have love. See, that's what happens. See, when you have deep love for people, you are willing to forgive. You're willing to, to, to look overlook, to move on. And that's why love is indispensable because we live and work with imperfect people that need grace as much as we do. So, The same scenario. People cut us off, we get mad. But what happens when, I know you all wouldn't ever, but let's just say that you cut somebody's, somebody else off, right? Right away, like, I'm just human. I'm sorry. It was a mistake. Don't get all bent out of shape. Right? We want people 
to extend grace, but we're not always willing to extend that grace to other people. And you have to realize what, what Peter is saying is that you've got to love deeply. You've got to show that love because the people that you live with and work with, they're imperfect and they need grace just like you need grace. And we are so quick to want to get grace from other people. Well, I made a mistake, right? Your, your husband gets all, does something wrong, and there you are. Rah, 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 rah. Lo and behold, you make a mistake. I'm just human. I can't just hold it all together. I've got to cook, and I've got to clean. I'm just human. Well, so is your bozo husband. Somebody just came from the Bozo Anonymous. <laughs> I'm a Bozo. <laughs> and I admit I'm a Bozo. Somebody about to marry a Bozo. We're all human. And the same grace that we want extended to us, we've got to be willing to give to other people. In fact, that is where Paul starts with the description of what agape love is. Remember we said 1 Corinthians 13 is not a definition. It is a description. It is love in action. And the very first thing he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, love is patient. How, how many of y'all can admit y'all need help with patience? Don't be lying. Everybody needs to raise their hand. Another version says long-suffering. So you're like, yes, I'm married to him. No. <laughs> and, and I know you're probably thinking, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the picture of love that the world paints in movies and music and literature. Why? Because we are so, so used to, and they lived happily ever after as we see them riding off into the sunset over the hill. But what you don't realize, as they get over the hill, the wife's already complaining because he didn't ask for directions. And she's saying, we're lost. And he's saying, we're not lost. I just don't know where we're at right now. And we wouldn't be lost if you'd ask directions. See, we don't realize, we, we stay with that picture of they lived ever, ever, happily ever after, not realizing that the next day they got into an argument, they got into a fight. Why? Because we live with imperfect people. And we've got to understand that true love suffers long. True love is patient. In fact, patient there is the Greek word Marco Tomeo. And that word is used over and over again in the New Testament, but it doesn't describe patience with situations or circumstance. It specifically refers to being patient with people. That's what Paul is saying. He is saying that we've got that love is patient with those imperfect people. And, and so this word is not so much concerned with circumstances or event. It concerns itself with people. It is the ability to be wronged and wronged again and again and again and have the power to retaliate, but never think of it. That's what love is. In fact, Chris Ostom, the early church father said, this is the word which is used of the man who is wrong and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. That's the word. That true love is the spirit which will never retaliate. 
It describes the person who's willing to forgive again and again. Now, you've got to understand, as Paul is writing to, to the Greeks here, this is a completely foreign concept to them. Because for the Greeks, especially in that area, they, they didn't see patience as, as a virtue, but they saw it as a sign of weakness. In fact, Aristotle said that the great Greek virtue is the refusal to tolerate any insult or injury and the readiness to strike back at any hurt. Now, doesn't that just sound like our society? Oh, girl, you blocked me on Facebook. I'm going to block you. I didn't want to see your stories. I stopped trolling. I don't care about her, but mirala, mirala. In the gym, but I estaba en el buffet Friday. Y como tú sabes, comadre, pues lo está viendo. Ahí la pone, ahí la pone. We go a little bit bilingual today. Does that sound like our society today? Like we, we actually put people on the pedestal that want to read that. Oh, I like her. She don't take nothing. Like she keeping it real. Like she don't let nobody walk. Yeah. Don't, don't we put people on the pedestal that are willing and ready to retaliate? And so Paul was saying that this is heroism to them. But not to God. See, with God, it's the very opposite of love. Love does not retaliate. And so this concept was something totally new to the Greeks. And Paul is saying that the believers are the ones who love, the one who is hurt and insulted and injured, and in a position to take revenge, but chooses not to. In fact, that Greek word translated as patient literally means long-tempered. The exact opposite of someone who is short-tempered. How many of y'all know who got short-tempered? Don't raise your hand. Oh, you're good. Sorry. All right. Or how do we say it? Like, you have a short fuse. Some of y'all don't even got a fuse. <laughs> you're, you're like that firecracker on 4th of July that blows up in your hand because that fuse, it only... <laughs> yeah, but Pastor, I blow up and then I'm good. <laughs> yeah, but all the damage you caused when you blew up. He's saying true love is being long-tempered. It's extending grace. It's extending forgiveness. And can you imagine how different our lives would be if we loved people the way we love ourselves? If we extended grace and forgiveness the way we expect people to extend grace and forgiveness to us. Imagine how different our lives would be if we had that love that was patient. But let me put it into modern day vernacular that you can understand. I believe this is what Paul was saying is that love doesn't keep score. You know, the biggest challenge that we have when we do marital counseling is that couples like to keep score. You forgot that you're on the same team and somehow you think you're playing against each other and you just keep, you just keep telling the score. 
and keeping the score. And what Paul is saying that true love doesn't keep score. In fact, if you look at what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 19 and 21, he says we love each other because he loved us first. In other words, our ability to love is because he's given us a picture and pattern of love. See, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. Pastor, I don't hate him. I just don't like him very much. Liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. In other words, our ability to love is because God has given us a picture of love. He's given us the pattern of love. And all he's saying is that if you love the way that I love you, then you're not going to keep score. But we're so good at keeping score. Especially women, man. Y'all don't forget anything. You know y'all flunked history because you couldn't even remember when the War of 1812 was. But boy, do you know what happened. And, and women, they can tell you the date, the time, what they were wearing, what you were saying, what was on the radio. I mean, they can tell you detail, detail. 30 years ago of what you messed up. You're keeping score. And Paul is saying, love doesn't keep score. You know how God does it with us? Because I believe that if God didn't do this with us, he'd probably like. The Bible says that his mercies for us are new every morning. You know what that means? That when you go to sleep and wake up, you wake up in the morning and it's zero to zero. You could have been down zero to 100 the night before. You could be in such a deficit with God, but yet you go to sleep, the sun sets, and then the sun rises, and God says, wake up, baby, you're back at zero to zero. Let's start over. This is a new day. I'm going to praise the past. I'm letting it go. We're going to start brand new. Could you imagine if every day we go to sleep and wake up, and we give our husbands or our wives, our son or our daughter, hey, we're starting at zero, zero. It's a new game today. But there we go, keeping score. Keeping score. And it doesn't matter how much we do. The deficit goes so deep that we'll never be able to catch up. Because we're keeping score. And God says, if you want to truly love someone, love does not keep the score. That goes for your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your co-worker, your neighbor that blows his leaves in your yard. That goes out at one in the morning and puts his trash in your bucket. If that's you. He's talking about how different our lives would be if every day we started new and afresh, zero to zero. It's a new game. It's a new day, and we're starting fresh again. Love does not keep score. It's time for some of you to erase the scoreboard. It's time for you to let 
bygones be bygones. Yes, I know, in 1972. Yes, I know. Yes, I know, in 2002. Yes, I know, but it's 2024. Time to move on. It's time. Wherever you're keeping score, your phone, your tablet, somewhere, it's time to start new, just the way that God starts new with us. Could you imagine if God kept score? We'd never make it to heaven, but because he loves us so much that every night he erases the score and he gives you a new opportunity to do better, to live better. Aren't you grateful for that? If you are, will you stand and give him some praise? As we close out today, I don't know who you've been keeping score against. Maybe your mama hurt you, your daddy hurt you, your son, your daughter. Maybe they failed you. But remember, they're imperfect. They're human just like you are. Just like you dropped the ball, they dropped the ball. Just like you want grace, they need grace. And it's time to erase that score. Will you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. God, thank you for teaching us the better way to not keep score, to race every night and start brand new and fresh every morning. God, lead us to live that better way. So we're not trying to impress, but we are able to impact people through the love that you first gave us. We can give it to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us, and a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.